Well, I do thank, thank you again, Pastor Jim, for letting me be here. I apologize to everybody, but uh, Pastor, I sound like Pastor Clarence today, but uh, I've just been in a, in a few extra meetings and sessions and everything uh, this week, but I do care a lot about our board meetings. We understand that they're a legal requirement in the state of Minnesota. I say we understand that. Apparently not all of our churches understand that. Um, I've had some interesting meetings uh, in the Executive Presbytery where we've kind of found out some people feel like board meetings are suggestions, but it does turn out in the state of Minnesota, it's a legal requirement. And so we just encourage everybody to follow the law, but I wanna talk about that a little bit today uh, and help you. I might be one of the few people that is this radically, yes, sir? How about if the church is not a 501c3? Is it an Assembly God church? Oh, no. Then I, I, my, I will admit to you that I don't know exactly uh, my specialty would be Assemblies of God. My great-great-grandparents helped start the Assemblies of God, Hot Springs, Arkansas. They were there, three of the 300. My great-grandfather as well. Since then, my family served as district superintendents, teen challenge directors, uh, local church pastors, missionaries. My knowledge for outside of the Assemblies of God world is vastly limited. So I will defer you to that uh, on that. Let me just say Celebration Church, as Pastor Jim mentioned, was a little bit of an interesting situation. Um, after I got there, I learned a little bit more how interesting it was. It was founded in 1996 by the great evangelist Lowell Lundstrom. Him and his family had traveled throughout the Midwest, crusades, he wrote books, songs, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor, as I said, that's just my life history. Um, and when I moved to the church, we moved in the summer of 2015, I didn't know, it was, it was a district affiliated church, but I didn't know that. In its heyday, it ran a little bit over 1,500 people on a weekend service. And um, so I just, I had incorrectly assumed it was a general council affiliated church, which means a little bit more self-governing, that kind of stuff. When I went to general council a month later, uh, I tried to register for a delegate at general council, which every general council church gets to have one representative vote. And they told me, you don't get that. You're not a general council church. I said. Let me repeat myself because obviously they didn't hear me the first time. I thought my voice was okay. And at that time, Pastor Clarence walked by. He was the district superintendent of Minnesota in 2015. And he said, oh, Pastor Derek, I forgot to mention to you, you're not a general council church. Now I say that not because I was worried about one vote at general council, but what it meant is our church didn't have church membership. But I didn't know that when I went there. Um, the only members at our church were board members. And it turns out that only half of our board attended our church. The other half lived in different states. Right. So what had happened is Lowell Lundstrom, as a traveling evangelist, had set up a board with some friends from around the country, and they served as his board, which I suppose might have been okay in the founder situation. Um, after he passed away and uh, one of his children took over, they had encountered some problems. And it turns out, typically, um, friends of the pastor from around the country don't really, again, I'm not saying about your church specifically, but a lot of times they'll defer to the what's best for the pastor rather than what's best for the church. So they went through some struggles. And uh, once I came in, I'm, I think I'm one of the few people in the country that, according to bylaws, had no church voting membership, only friends of the pastor on the board. And I said, that's terrible. Let's redo that. And so I gave up all the power that any pastor has ever been given in a church. And I said, I don't think that's a healthy model 
for myself or our church. So we transitioned to a general council church. We created voting membership. We call it partnership at our church. Um, but words do matter, and I'll get to that. So it was a different setup of our church to where we are. But I, it's important to know the history, because if you know the history of the church, it'll better prepare you to walk through change going forward. I'm willing to walk through any amount of trouble in a battlefield, but I would like to know where the landmines are and do my best to avoid them. By the way, if you don't know what the landmines of your church history are, feel free to read your church bylaws. They will tell you. <laughs> because uh, I can read through your bylaws and tell when there was a fight and all somebody made an amendment and it's like back in 2011, nobody can be on the board that knows the pastor. You know, like you can tell they had a fight, <laughs> right? The pastor's spouse got put on the board, voted themselves a pay raise, and now we have a bylaw. Okay, so go back and read your bylaws, you'll know what the fights have been because it's important for you to know when you're setting up this structure. Um, one of the things that I believe is very important is that power of agreement. Now, whether you're general counsel, church, district affiliated church, a packed church, friends of a church, or not, I don't know what your situation is, but whatever that is, is this will apply because it's really about the power of agreement. Okay, so I, I think if you'll have better, you will have better board meetings if you experience the power of agreement. So this is as much about the culture of your church and your leadership team as it is about the legal structure of it, right? We, we do have to have legal meetings. I encourage you to do that, and I'll, I'll talk about some of that stuff. But uh, because I'm a little bit of a teacher uh, and pastor, I, I did like come up with three points because when I shared this with a few people, I had 25 points, and they said that was too many. Mm -hmm. So I reduced it to three, but each point has eight subpoints. So how about that? Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's fantastic. So uh, let me just see, by show of hands, how many people in the room are pastors? You're pastors, just so I know, okay? How many people are like church members? And, and you're a church member? Look, so you fit in with us. That's fantastic. How many people, I don't know what the other one, you're Lutheran, just stare at me. You know what I'm saying? Okay, <laughs> fantastic. All right, now. Now I know where you're at. That's awesome. Okay, John's not the only one with jokes, but it's good to see you, buddy. So uh, let me just uh, give some of these things, and then I'll build some of these things. Um, the first thing I'll mention is that planning will accelerate your purpose. Planning will accelerate your purpose. Um, I, I would never recommend just showing up. So let me give you some recommendations of how you can plan to have better board meetings. Another way that I, this is going to come out throughout our talk today, I really believe that you'll have better board meetings if you lead your board members. I know if you're a board member in the room, it's important for you to hear. I had invited a couple of our board members to join me today because I don't want you to think I'm saying something about them that they weren't here. They just were like, oh, Pastor, we got things going on. So anyway, um, make plans in advance. Like put your meeting date. We already covered that it's a legal requirement for most of us in the room. Um, put them on the calendar in advance. Everybody has stuff going on. Don't like look up and go, oh, we hadn't met for a year. Don't do, just like pick it now, put it on there so people can plan their vacations. You can have your work schedule like, you know, when Sunday church happens, put the board meeting on the calendar. I, I view these as vision meetings, not just necessary evil. So like I'm working on it, preparing for it, leading up to it. So put it on the calendar, have it planned, actually have the meetings and take minutes and have financial reports. You're thinking, what's the big deal? Well, we, we were involved in a few lawsuits uh, from previous pastoral family. And uh, it does turn out that all of that becomes matter of legal record. Okay? So I encourage you, 
follow the legal rules, have minutes. Let me just mention, uh, because everything is of legal record, I would not recommend over explaining everything in your board meeting minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you, you want to have enough. <laughs> uh, Bishop Dale Bronner once said, you want it to be like a mini skirt, long enough to cover the subject matter, but short enough to keep it readable, you know? So um, some of you will get that later, but that was Bishop Dale Bronner. That wasn't my illustration, you know what I'm saying? But um, what you put in there, no, 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 it's recorded. You can get it later. So, uh, uh, what, what's written down in those minutes is of legal record. So you may want to discuss the overall item, give a summary, but you may or may not want to list some specifics about a person that you talked about and their marital issue. You may just want to say we reviewed church people's lives. You know what I'm saying? Because those, you can't just say that was a private discussion. You can Google our church's board meeting minutes in the state of South Dakota because that's where we were founded. That's a whole other story. But, and you can read them all because they're on the record in courtroom. So you, you want to make sure you have those. Have financial reports. And don't lie about them. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, actually print the real ones. That's important. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of the pastor especially, but we just think it's important for everybody to know. We print our annual finance report on our website. I think if you don't have anything to hide, you don't have anything to hide. You know, we don't, it's not like listed how many staplers we bought. You know, there's like an office supply line, but, you know, it's good. I think if you can lead with transparency and clarity, it'll go way better for you. Mm -hmm. I encountered a situation where there was deception, there was lying, which I think is deception, but anyway. Uh, uh, and so we had people who ended up joining the board. They had been local elders, elders before that. They didn't even know that our church had a mortgage, which I don't understand why you wouldn't want your church people to know that. Because I'm like, yeah, we owe money. We, we need your help. You know, like, uh, you know, so I found out on day five, we needed $18,000 to fix our elevator or we were getting closed in 30 days. Pastor Clarence didn't mention that. <laughs> and I had a board member go, what you? you know, like, so I just think, tell people what's going on. It'll help you. Like, we've got to get beyond this. If you tell everybody everything's fine, don't be surprised when they're like, well, I guess we don't need to help. So I want people to know we need your help. Here's the situation. So I just, you know, be upfront with those kind of things. I print a meeting agenda um, and that helps us. I have notes for today. I have notes when I preach. We have an agenda when we meet for a board. It helps keep me on track. It helps keep all of us on track. We do that kind of stuff. Here's just, again, some practical things, how we flesh out meetings. I sat in the previous board meeting training here and it was very different than mine and, and great appreciation. But we meet on Monday nights as a board. We have a number of business folks on our elected board that uh, travel Tuesday to Thursday in sales. And so um, I, I don't do any other board meetings on Sunday. I got enough on my plate. I don't need any kind of distractions on that. I'm in the lobby and I'm preaching, but, and then I'm just spent. Um, I sound like this after church because I'm from the South. And so I don't just get up and share some words, you know, for you to consider here this morning. Like most of the time I, I preach, you know, and, uh, but so we meet on Monday night because I need a day to reset. Because like I'm, I'm working on a Sunday message and I come in, I'm working on a flow for that Monday agenda. So I print those. We meet on Monday night uh, and we begin with dinner. And uh, that's a fun thing. Now, let me just talk about one of the, the uh, if you have planning, that'll accelerate your purpose. I think where people lack the power of agreement is they have a disagreement on what the pastor does, what the board does. 
So this was important. The best time to come to an agreement on what the board does and what the pastor does is before the pastor accepts the job. The second best time is after this session. Okay, so uh, <laughs> now, now, if you are in a different situation, don't change it tonight. Take them on a journey. Pastors are some of the worst leaders of process I've ever met in my life. Why? Because we get a word from the Lord and we show up and we're like, oh, you know, and, but you got to take them on a journey. If you've, if you've been in a different place, you got to go on a journey. So these are the, the four things that we set up as our leadership structure at the church or the culture of our house before I agreed to come. I said, number one, oh, you know, Jesus is in charge. Okay. I'm not going to read a Bible verse like Pastor Jim will preach on that. You know, so I'm just trying to help you with some specifics. Number one, we're going to be pastor led. If you don't want me to lead, I'm not going to be a good pastor for you. That's just knowing my makeup. Now, let me say this. I operate the same way on the boards that I serve on for other ministries or other pastors. Right? Pastor Jim could tell you, other presbyters, executive presbyters in the room will attest. When I'm in a meeting with the district, I say, Pastor Mark, you're our pastor. What direction do you want to go? And I feel like my job is to help give ideas to help accomplish the vision God's given him. So I, I, I serve on boards the same way, in the same spirit that I try to lead our board. And so I just think it, it works best with that way. We're going to be pastor-led. We're going to be board-advised. Now, legally, if you read our bylaws, it, they have the power. Like, legally, it's there. You can read it, right? They can vote me out. They can bring a congregational vote and vote me out. I always told them, though, if you feel like we need to have a vote whether or not I should still be your pastor, we'll skip it. I'll be out. Because I can get another job. Some of you are like, he's really direct. No, I meant it. Like, I could. I get another job. I get calls all the time. It, but God's called me here. But if you feel like he hasn't, let's just ag agree to it now. We don't need a church fight over who's going to be the pastor. Because if enough people don't think I should, let's just, let's, let's care about the body. Okay, so we're going to be pastor-led. We're going to be board-advised. That's about posture, not uh, power. So we've had to agree to a culture I need you to speak into my life. I need you to watch out for me. I need you to advise our church, but I don't need you to control our church. So some people don't make a good board member if I'm the pastor. And that's okay. Or I might not be a good pastor for every church. There's no might be. I would not be a good pastor for every church because I just, I don't know how to operate if I'm not leading. And, but I, I don't know how to operate if I don't have good advice. So on our board, there's no one younger than me on our board. I don't need a younger perspective. I got a young staff. I need people who've been there, done that. They've gone through the ups and the downs. I need wise business people because I, I've got a staff. I understand church ministry. I don't need our board to tell me how to preach a sermon. I mean this with all humility. I'm a better preacher than them. A long pause was just for John. He likes it when I just <laughs> let stuff sink in, you know. But here's the deal. Almost each and every one of them have brokered multi-million dollar business deals. They've been through recessions and increases. They've been through the history of our church. So they were around. Some of them were around before I was. So they can give me perspective that I can't get on myself, or that I can't get myself. But as far as which, what's the third point in today's sermon, that's on me. So in our bylaws that Pastor Greg Hickel wrote when I came, because remember ours were old and they didn't have church membership, it says the pastor is going to govern the spiritual affairs of the church. But we had to agree that's what we're going to do, board advised. 
and then I'll talk about two guardrails with that in a second. The third thing that we are is we're staff driven. Now we're a larger church at this point. It was a couple hundred when I came. It's a couple hundred more than that now. So I don't have time to call a board meeting to get together to discuss what our Sunday school curriculum is going to be. Like we just, they, and they don't know. They're like, whatever you want, Pastor. And I'm like, well, I don't know either. We're going to go with what the kids director says, you know. So uh, we're going to be staff driven because as you move and grow, that, that's just, but we're going to be congregation empowered. If we're not equipping the saints to fulfill their ministry that God has talented, gifted them to do, then we're all missing it. Okay, so that's going to be our structure. Now, it's important that everybody knows what our structure is because a year or two ago, might have been before COVID, I don't even remember now, we were having some tension because some people forgot what our structure was. You can read into that. It wasn't me. So I had to start a board meeting. Man, it's awesome to be a pastor. Love it. Remember when I came five years ago? I was in trouble. Man, you guys saw something in us. And remember, now, now, remember what we agreed to when I came? Remember? Because we prayed about it. We all said, this is a word from the Lord. Oh, we're going to be pastor-led. I just wrote it on the board. Now, remember, now, what we're here for is we need to be board advised. I need that, right? And, but, and we just wrote down, right, and whatever the other ones were that I just said. Staff-driven. Congregation empowered. I said, now, remember, I need your advice, but God didn't call you to leave this church. And if we feel in this room that he hasn't called me to lead this church anymore, let's have that conversation. But we just all got to remember, we got to stay in our lane. Right? So I explain that. Now, here's what, here's what we talk about. Because one of the things that I'm going to say is it almost doesn't matter what your church structure is. If you have the right pastor, the right leader, that structure can work out. And if you have the wrong leader, the wrong pastor, there's almost no structure that will fix your problem. That's just a reality. You could be congregation-driven, pastor-living, apostolic. I don't even care which one. I mean, I do because I recommend the one I'm talking about. But, but, but the right leader can lead people even in a wrong setting. And the wrong leader will struggle no matter how you set it up with it. <laughs> they can manipulate it. Now, here's what we've agreed on as our church. We've got two guardrails, right? And over here, it's a financial guardrail. And over here, I'm going to call it a heart, but that's a spiritual guardrail. So for me, as the pastor, for our staff, the important thing for our church, we got to keep it between the ditches. Guardrails, boundaries are a blessing. So we've got this financial guardrail, and we've got this spiritual guardrail. This might not be a surprise to everybody. Our board's main task, fiduciary responsibility, is to give the financial guardrail. Now catch this, we've agreed as a body, as a, as a board, and I haven't put this, so we, you know, they're elected by the body, three-year terms, they can do two terms, and none of that was there before, so I, I love it. I think local leadership is by far the best. I, I can bring something to a board meeting, and they will actually care about it after the board meeting's over. My friends around the country are like, oh, that's a bummer, Derek, and they're done. Then they go back to their life and their church. So I love local leadership. They care about it. They're passionate. But we're going to set this financial guardrail. And then here's the key. We've agreed that inside the guardrail, we, the staff, get to run. So we've set the budget. 
And if we don't exceed the budget, we're not going to debate which flavor of coffee we're buying for the coffee bar. Has anybody been in a meeting before where you're just, <laughs> apparently I found where you are. Even the Lutherans gave me an audible response. That was fantastic. You know? So we're going to, if we keep it in the main area. Now, and I say this to our staff, right? So, so here's the, the budget that the board has approved. If you go out of the budget, what do we have to do? We have to bring the guardrail further in. Because that's what loving accountability does. We, we've got to bring it in because we, you can't be trusted to drive next to the cliff. We've got to put a barrier. Now, for the spiritual guardrail, that's not our board. They're business people. You are business people. Well, some of you. Some of you pastors are not business people, but that's a whole other problem. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> that heart guardrail is set by the spiritual, in this regard, eldership, leadership of our church, which is myself and our staff, some of our staff. Yeah, Neil. Yeah, we call them the board. Yeah, so when I came, they used to have elders, and because of landmines in the church, we don't use that term. It's not anywhere in our bylaws. It's in the Bible, so it feels like it should be okay. But it was a major landmine because there was said that there was elders, local elders, and then that there was a board and they didn't go to the church, but they were not given information. So these local elders didn't even know that the church had a mortgage. The church was $4 million in debt and the local elders didn't know. Like, so when I say like not good information being given, and so um, we lovingly started to term them fake elders because like they, they said it, but they didn't know anything. They didn't have any power to do anything. So we do use the term our elected board. Yeah. Um, yeah. Leadership team. Yeah, we, we talk about it. So for us, uh, our leadership team is a combination of our staff and our board, right? So we do a lot of things together. And I'll talk about that. I'm just a big, we're in this together. Our Christmas party is together. Barbecue cookouts at my house will be together. Now, occasionally I'll do stuff separate. But I, when the church blew up, at the, when Pastor Clarence came in, brought people together, people that were elders and a couple of the board members that attended the church and the staff met each other for the first time. There was a triangulation of leadership power and dynamics. And when you're not sharing proper info across the board, then I think you're always hiding something. Turns out that's what was happening, right? So I just feel like, like at our annual business meeting, you don't need to be a, a member to come, just come. You get the same packet everybody else does. It's awesome, there you go, great. You know, so um, so we we agree on this. And then if we keep it between the ditches, now you may say, well, what else does that look like? This may look different for you. But we're part of the Assemblies of God. I'm a ordained minister, Assemblies of God. Many of our staff now is. When I came to the church, I was the only credentialed AG pastor uh, at the church. Now, many are. We keep getting more each year. We had three yesterday. So so our, our heart guardrail, our spiritual guardrail, is also really largely set by the Assemblies of God. So in that regard, I don't need a local board member to ensure that my theology is accurate. Someone's God already has a built-in mechanism for that. If I start preaching Jesus is not the only way, they pull my credential, which would be weird because I'm the executive president, so I call myself. I'm like, you are having a meeting. <laughs> right? So, so we have that guardrail. And then what we've said is that we recognize organizations move at the speed of trust. So when I first came, we had weekly board meetings because we couldn't pay our bills. We were trying to figure out which utility will get turned off this week. 
what is the interest rate on that credit card versus, you know, the, so, so we met every week because I was new, I was young back then. I'm, I'm, you know, Tuesday I turned 40, which in the AG, if you're under 40, you're young. And if you're older 40, you're not. You know, like that's just, we don't have any other bracket. So I'm just <laughs> rapidly <laughs> approaching that, you know, but like I was 32 years old when we came. And so it was like this big deal. So we move at the speed of trust. Then we move to every other week and then monthly. Now we only do a, a quarterly finance meeting because if the offerings are up or down for us in a month, it's not, anyway, that, I'm just letting you know, it moves at the speed of trust. Now we meet more often than that, but we're only going through all those finances uh, quarterly because of where we're at church size, structure, margin, those kind of things, right? So we're trying to create something that can be scalable and move. Now, every board meeting, um, I, we present a ministry dashboard. Like when you're driving on your car, you'll see how much gas you got, how fast you're going. And so there's a couple things that I think are important dashboards. You can figure out if they're different for you um, and you can be wrong, but you know, they're important for all of us. That was a joke, by the way. Some of you didn't get that. That's fine. So, so here's a couple of things on our dashboard that we just give an update on. What's our attendance been? Now, we don't worship that, but it does help you to know like zero people came to church last week. That might be something you want to look at or a general trajectory. I think it's important that you use some of the same dashboards instead of picking and choosing every time. It just gives people a baseline. This is what's happening. I think new guests is important. If you're not reaching anyone in your community, you got to evaluate. What are we doing, right? Consequently, Rick DuBose, our general uh, assistant superintendent of the Assemblies of God, said they had a metric in Texas that they could tell a church would be dying if they weren't reaching the people in their community. And even if their attendance was going up, but it was just from people driving to the community, they knew eventually that church would die. So you got to find out. Guess, where are they from? What's going on? Right? Uh, we do, I, we go over what the money has been. It's important to know. If they've, one of their primary responsibilities is fiduciary responsibility, they need to know. What? So we tell them, like, here's what the checking account balance is. Here's what the offerings are, like, higher level, but you, you got to know. Um, and then another thing that we really talk about is our leadership development at the church. We would call that next steps, but are people moving from they came once to they're getting involved, they're, they're joining a small group, they're serving a ministry. What's that progression? Now, many of those are not just about the large number. It's about even finding one person. So I might say, here, here's one guest that came this last week. This lady got saved on her third week and got baptized in water on her fourth week. We might not have had any other guests for a month, but I can find something to talk about and celebrate. So I think it's important you give what that dashboard is. I try in all of those to think about what are the questions that they might have? Because the more questions that you can answer before they're asked, the more trust you build. Right? And, and by the way, I've experienced the pain of following someone that didn't. And I still, to this day, feel like I have to answer questions. And I'm like, I have been here seven years. <laughs> I'm an ordained minister of the Assemblies of God. I'm executive presbyter of the metro region of the Assemblies of God. And they, you know, but the landmines. So sometimes they'll ask questions that I go, it's not even about me. I have to remind myself of that a lot. Their question's really asking something else. And here's what I found, because I'll, I'll talk about the personal connection next. The more I create an environment for conversation, but the more repeated questions I'm getting for someone, to me, highlights a disconnect between us. So let me just 
talk about that a little bit. The second one is that connection helps direction. So we talk about things like we're partners, not members. That's, you know, we, Minnesota, state of Minnesota calls it membership, but we say that and then we said, but we're going to call it partnership because membership feels like a country club. You pay your dues, get served, and all that, right? But partnerships, like we're in this together. Partners bring something to the table. You can count on me. It, partners often don't bring the same thing to the table. Right? So some partner, if you're starting a business, might have more business expertise or, or money or location. But we bring something and we can count on each other. I think one of the areas that we've really missed in our church structure is that pastors, for those of us that are those pastors, we're really bad at two-way street loyalty and honor and, and accountability. We want everybody else to honor us and be loyal to us, but then we don't. It develop that connection as well. So, so we've got to look at that. Um, we talk about things like being in covenant with each other more than a board contract, right? We care about it. These are people, and Jeff shared about this from his perspective as a board member in the last session. Um, like I'm personally invested with our board members and their families. The truth is, depending on your size or other responsibilities in life, we got a lot of people in the church that I, I don't know anymore. A couple of them are working on our staff now, and I met them after they were hired. Like, it's just a reality. But our board has to know, I need you, and I'm here for you. I got to have somebody. Um, I remember when we moved here, we had left uh, my family in North Carolina, and uh, one of our board members really became like adopted grandparents for my kids. They had a pool at their house, and my kids got to go swimming for like a month and a half in the summer of Minnesota. (laughs) But... But it's like a covenant. I, I've gone on vacation with board members. I go to dinner at least every other month with each board member. So if I'm getting repeated questions in a board meeting, something's off. I don't mean that I'm not having conversation, but you, you, you know the difference where someone's just always picking, always poking on. It's just like, are we having the same conversation, you know? And I go, all right, I got I to gotta get that pulse. They, but they got to know. I, listen, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I recommend this to you, but I, I've canceled a vacation because a board member's mom died. I'm not telling you you need to. I'm probably the worst person to talk about time off ever. Pastor Elizabeth continues to help me with that. Um, but, like, I'm in it for them. By the same token, I expect them to be in it for me, though. But I got to prove it. So sometimes I do stuff for them I wouldn't do for anybody else. I had one board member. I helped them replug in their speakers at their house because they got new speakers at their TV. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how to do that. But I was over there because <laughs> they were old. They knew less than me. And I was like, here we are. I live two miles away. I drove over. I turned the game off and drove to their house and helped them plug in speakers. So again, I'm not saying you got to do everything, but I'm just, when I say I'm in for covenant relationship with them, I'm in. I'm in. But I also need them to be. But I think it's important that we, we model that. That connection helps. So we begin our meetings with food. Um, and we talk about like life. What's going on? How are your kids? How's your family? We do, uh, probably every other month, we do a dinner together, like I said, with board members and spouses. Like, we're just in this together. By the way, um, I just assume anything I mention at a meeting, they're going to tell their spouse, even if they shouldn't. I just assume that. Just letting you know that. 
right? We had that big discussion. What should be confidential? What isn't? I don't know what should be, but I know almost nothing is. So I'm just letting you know, <laughs> you know, Jeff LeFevre, great business guy. He knows what he's talking about. I'm like, that's good in theory. I know people talk, you know, you know why I know that? Cause I do. My wife and I were leading together. We're not like co-pastors in that sense. Like I'm the pastor, but I'm just letting you know, she makes decisions at our church. That's like I made them because we're in it together. So I just, I just assume everything we talk about, they're going to tell them at home. Now I make it really clear when I'm like, guys, like legally, I really need you not to say anything else. But I'm just telling you, I still assume they're going to tell their spouse. But at least I did my duty. I said, please don't. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we food, we talk about those things, personal conversations. Because I think if you only have professional conversations, it's really tough to say you're in it for more than just a professional deal. So we do that. Um, while, even while we're eating, I highlight wins of the church. Everybody wants to know we're winning. And let me just, I mentioned it earlier, but even if you're losing, you can still find a way to win. Surely find one person that got saved. If nobody got saved in your church this year, you should go to the office a whole lot less and just go witness to your neighborhood. Like, like for real. I heard about that. 40% of our Seventh of God churches reported zero salvations. 40% for the year. I'm thinking we could just cancel Sunday service for a while and just tell that pastor to go out in the neighborhood, something. I don't know. Or you could just be like Pastor Doug Vogley, count hands during worship as salvation. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's fine. I know. <laughs> That's a joke. He doesn't actually do that. He doesn't actually do that. Like I said, we do local board members. And I love it because they're vision carriers. They, they're an amplification. They all have relationships throughout the church and our community that I can't go and be part of and touch in all the same way. But if we come together, and so I just, I love that they're vision uh, carriers for that. Now, let me talk about conflict culture. Pastor Doug Clay, our general superintendent, said this when he came a couple years ago to district council and equip. He said, carefrontation. I don't know if you were here, you remember that, but um, I, I'm not that good at it. As much as I'll make my opinion known in a meeting, thank you to the presbyters for not laughing when I made that comment. I don't like, I don't like confrontation. I don't. I just want people to get it. And, and I struggle with that. But I also know if you're going to move forward, you do have to care enough to confront and have that. Now, let me give you a specific way that we try to do carefrontation on our board. It's rarely from me to them. Rarely. That's head on. Because what happens is if I confront a board member in a meeting, I'm going to win because I'm the pastor. But what happens after the meeting? We just lost. That board member is going to work on the next board meeting, right? And so we, I rarely will confront head on. And I'll often, but we've talked about this as a culture. So this is another good point that I make. No one's surprised by this. On our new board member orientation, we talk about structure and we talk about carefrontation. And we say, you know what? We've agreed, this is our culture. And so I will go if, what was your name? Amanda. I mean, I should have known that, but you're doing a great job. Anyway, so if Amanda says something about me in our meeting, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to fight with her in that moment. Probably. I have once. Because <laughs> somebody pushed it too far. But anyway, if Amanda was saying, I might go to Bob later and say, hey, Bob, can you go talk to Amanda? Come shoulder to shoulder. So when my wife and I are, I was going to say having a fight, but we don't have a fight. We just have heated fellowship. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So, so we don't. She's like, why are you yelling? I'm like, I'm not yelling. I'm just a Ross. You know, like, so 
I, if we go for a walk, we're shoulder to shoulder, we could walk through the, the, you know, the neighborhood and stuff, it helps. So I'll say, Bob, will you, will you go talk to Amanda? And Bob will be like, Amanda, what's going on? That doesn't seem like you. Why did you cuss out the pastor? <laughs> like, we were there. We've agreed we're not going to do that. She's like, ah, oh, yeah, I had a bad day. My kid got suspended and whatever. It's like, man, think you should apologize to pastor? Okay. Now, she can roll back into the next meeting and be fine. But everybody knows if I'm like, Amanda, what's your problem? You know, like, you see what I'm saying? So we don't do a whole lot of head-on confrontation. But we talk about this is how we're going to do it before we do it. So it's not like I'm gossiping behind their back to a board member. We've all agreed, here's how we're going to do stuff. Now, occasionally, like, I, I'll say something, but I'm just letting you know, I don't want them to lose face or lose part of it because we all say things that we don't want to be judged forever by. And so uh, that's just one way we do that confrontation. Um, we want to try to bring back that power. Another thing that uh, I'll mention, the third one, because I think we've got some questions coming up. I'm supposed to be done. Communication shapes culture. I think words matter. So like at our church, we use the word guest, not visitor. Uh, we're trying to be prepared in advance. We're trying to plan for that. Uh, again, in our culture, we would talk about things in our meetings, in our staff meetings, wherever it is. We don't need anybody to be the devil's advocate. He doesn't need your help. Right. <laughs> Just letting you know. You may have another perspective, and we want to hear that because we need that perspective and I welcome that perspective. But the truth is, don't be the devil's advocate. If you feel, my wife posted that on social media, she's like, if you feel like that's your mission, you need to read the Bible again, right? Like this, don't do that. So we come back to our covenant, not to flex my power, but just to refresh um, our position. So I always try to lead with positive vision instead of negative or pessimistic realities. Even if we don't have enough money, I'm like, hey, if we had enough money, here's what we could do. <laughs> so like, well, we don't have any money, so we can't do anything. No, come on, we can say, what if we could and uh, instead of we can't, um, uh, I, I, words matter. I try not to use the word, what's the least we can do with anything? We're evaluating a missionary or something. It's just like, what, what do we have to give them? No, we don't want to say words like that. What do we get to give them? What can we bless them with? We try not. I'm not saying we always do, but we try not to say the word spend. We try to say the word invest. We're not going to spend money on Easter. We're going to invest money into our community at Easter. Because words matter, right? Because we, we've also got this bad thing uh, of like, uh, we don't want to spend anything. Well, we don't want to pay a, a staff member well or a pastor well. By the way, I never use the word um, national average for compensation. I never use it. Unless you want an average pastor. And if that's your case, I'm the wrong one. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we use that for all of our staff too. We don't want to just say, what's the least we could pay a youth pastor? We don't want average. I've never read in the word of God, the kingdom of God is average. But that's why we care about picking up litter at the church. If you come, you see me. I can't walk past it. It's like a big, like, I just, I care about excellence. I care about looking good. But I also, it's like a personal deal for me. I'm just like, we can't do that. We, we've got to do our best. That doesn't mean that somebody else is doing. But we always ask, if we're looking at a staff member, a missionary, what's the best we can do for them? And you know what? Sometimes our best is not good enough for them. I mean, not the missionary. They'll take anything, you know, but... But son, you just got to say, what's our best? What's your motive? I remember when we were in Tanzania and I first got to hang out with Pastor Roy. He's here. Smaller church in Staples, small town. But he just, he, I don't remember how many years ago that was, Pastor Roy, but he said, I know we can't do it, but we're going to give God a chance. 
Like words matter. Like give them a chance. Like I just, I love that idea of it might happen. It could happen because we're Christians. If you don't think it can happen, you have to reread your Bible. Right? Like dead people come back to life. Our death becomes life. You know, so anyway, just words matter. Um, strategically, I have meetings before the meetings to make sure I have consensus. I've never asked for a vote that I wasn't pretty confident how it was going to happen. Never. But I, I go to dinner every other month. If I play golf with somebody they know, by hole four, I'm like, what do you think about the new building project? You know, like, it's just, I'm going to talk about it. This is, my only, this is my only hobby. Which is why I don't go on vacation, but that's another problem. Okay. But in that strategy of making reports, I always make asks after good news. So, like, if we don't have a testimony to report, I'm not going to ask our board to consider a new ministry. But, like, if we had four new guests on Sunday, I'm like, hey, what do you think about we start a uh, next steps class? You know, like, let's do something like that. So that's probably a bad example because in this guardrail, I would never ask them to do that. I just let them know we're starting a new class because we, we've just agreed. And I'm like, and I always check with them. I want to make sure I give you all the info you want. Because like, I'm getting paid to be here tonight, right? Like, that's the deal. Like, I'm the pastor. You chose to come here. So I don't want to keep you here all night. So we'll start at six with dinner and uh, but I, when I came, we had three and a half hour board meetings. It was terrible. Now, it, we do not have that long anymore. Yeah, John. What do you, what do, you do now? What's your length of uh, meetings? Uh, it's pretty rare for us to go past eight. Six to eight. Six to eight, including 30 minutes of dinner, including prayer for the ministry, including those updates of what's going on. It would be pretty rare to go past that. Once a month, twice. How, how so we do uh, quarterly finance. So we do eight meetings a year. Every other is a quarterly finance report from the financial company, um, of which, by the way, just while we're talking about structure, um, I don't have access to our bank accounts. I'm not a check signer. I don't know the combo on our safe. Um, and that's created other tensions. But um, I've always seen my dad operate that way. And then knowing that I came to a place where there was financial impropriety, um, you know, you can say you think I stole, but our, our whole team in church will tell you, well, we're not sure how we could have. You know, because if somebody hands me an offering in the, in the lobby, I hold it like it's radioactive. I'm like, let's go find security. You know, like, I just, let's go drop that in. Because I'm not going to put it in my coat pocket. Because on Sunday, I forgot my own girls at church afterwards. My wife was at flag football with our son, and I was supposed to take our girls home. And uh, I just preached and did a connect lunch. And I, I left our kids there. So I will leave an offering in my jacket. That's just, I just know it. So it's not going to happen. It's just going out there. If you give me money. Now, at our church, we do believe in Pentecostal handshakes. I know not everybody knows what that is, but that's when you put some money in your hand to shake the hand of the pastor, and he gets the Holy Ghost again because he was so excited about that. Anyway, uh, some of you need to go to church in the South. It'll bless you. It's amazing. So anyway, we do that. And, uh, and like I said, we're meeting. I do a, a cookout at my house every summer, uh, hamburgers, hot dogs. We just hang out, spouses, families, all that. Christmas dinner together. Where do you live? In Lakeville. Yeah, come on over. Hey, you know... This isn't about boards, but, oh, let me just say two more things, and I'll say, mention on that. So, well, this isn't part of it, but I'll say it anyway. Every uh, other Thursday in the summer, we have what's called Party at the Pastors. And so we let people sign up. We can handle 60 people at our house. 
And, uh, but you just sign up. We just put a thing in the lobby. Now, we're a big church, and I just put an open piece of paper in the lobby. Say, just sign up because we can only handle 60 people, but we'll have hamburgers, hot dogs. You bring a side to share, and just, we hang out at my house. I don't teach on it. It's just we're just hanging out. I'm always in the lobby before and after church, and we have people over. And then the truth is I'm gone a fair amount other than that, but I'm always around. I'm always reachable. I, you know, I think like four of us, we just hired our first admin assistant at the church. It's, uh, she doesn't do anything for me though, but it's, we kind of say like my email, it's Derek at celebrationchurch.net. You can get me, you can call me, get people my cell phone number. It's not a big deal to me. If I don't want to talk to you, I'll ignore your phone call. It's fine. That's my cell phone. Like don't even, I have a phone at the church, but we don't know if it works. Um, <laughs> words matter. I come with a plan to the meeting because leaders lead. I've never shown up to a board meeting and said, what do you think the vision of the church is? And let me just mention, if you don't have a vision for the church that God has called you to, get one or leave. Like, I just mean that. Like, leaders lead, so do that. Um, I use words that are specific. I might ask them, I need your wisdom on this idea. I'm not going to say, what do you guys want to do? Because we're pastor-led. And so I bring something from the staff. All right, that makes it. You didn't like that one. That's fine. Um, Another one, this is the last one, I'll just mention uh, questions because we have like seven minutes. Um, we budget low on income. We don't, we've grown uh, almost every year uh, at the church that I've been there, but we still just budget less. So we budget 90% of what came in the year before. Um, and then for us, that last 10% is what we would call a wind of the spirit account. So that, that way, if God gives us a new ministry idea in March, we can do it. Instead of going, ah, I wish he would have told us in November when we approve the budget, he'll have to wait nine months. So we leave that uh, margin. And then as we grow, we have even larger margin because of that. But here's what I've found. I'm the only one that really loses sleep if the budget is high and we're not meeting it. So why give myself that pressure? <laughs> this is free. Board members act surprised if your pastor's in the room and they do this. I like budgeting low. So that if we just meet last year, they're like, Pastor, we're up. I'm like, thank the Lord. They're like, you're doing an awesome job, Pastor. I'm like, thank you. If I would have budgeted up, they're like, why are you not a good pastor? Psychology. So, it, But I sleep better thinking we're not going to cut a missionary. I sleep better thinking my kids can still sign up for sports. I sleep better. I think your staff, I'm, I'm like pro pay your staff well. A, you don't want them to go somewhere else, but B, they'll do better work. They'll be less tempted with sin if, they, if, if they're able to like adequately provide for their family. So I'm like, I'm like pro pay people. I know there's some like, you know, keep your staff. I know there's too much staffing costs, but the reality is within the Assemblies of God, that's not our biggest problem. How do I just say it like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, sure, okay, anyway, you didn't like that part either, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> And then at the end, I always pray for them. Like, it's spiritual. Even though we're talking about financial things, we pray for our sermon series coming up. So as much as I say, this is our staff, and they're the financial, I let them know, hey, we're going to be moving into seven weeks on the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray. Let's just pray for revival in our city. Let's just pray for East. Let's just pray. Because they're still spiritual people. They just happen to operate primarily in the business sense. So it's not only just a spreadsheet. Because nobody actually gives a rip about spreadsheets. You can print them out. They can be fake. They were at our church. Um, that's, that's also true. This is on record, too. That's fine. I won in court. I can say it. Um, it's still a spiritual moment because it's one of the legs of leadership in the house. And I think it's important that they know, here's why we're going to invest money 
in these missionaries because that country matters. Here's why we're going to invest money in hiring a youth pastor because students are committing suicide all the time. Here's why we're going to invest money in a marriage night at the church because people are looking at porn. I think that's a good spot to transition to questions. All right. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, but what do, what do we have? A couple minutes of questions? Quarter after. Oh, I had 10 minutes. I could have said something beyond porn, but that's all right. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. So how many are on our board? When I came, there was 11. Then we had eight. Now we have six plus me. What do you mean, assign how many? Yeah, sure. So our bylaws state that uh, any member of the church, partner, can nominate uh, board members. And uh, those are three-year terms. We've always, we've said our culture is that if somebody served a three-year term and they're eligible for their second term, we would uh, put them back up. Um, we do have a nominating committee, our bylaws. Again, Greg Hickel wrote this stuff. So it's three members of our current board, three members at large from the church and myself. And so you, you need to check, are they invested in the vision of the house? Like they've never served, they've never given, they should not be a board member. But you don't want to tell everybody why that got, name got removed, right? So you just, you got to have that kind of thing. And so that's how we operate. And um, for us, when I came, it had been all uh, white people. So in 2016, um, I put up, one name of one person for a spot and uh, he was a black man and uh, so now we've got uh, two black guys, Hispanic guy, white lady, two white guys. So I gotta be a little bit careful because we don't really look like Lakeville anymore but our church doesn't either so it's all good. And let me just say um, I'm really big proponent of having different voices that speak the same vision. I, I just, I'm telling you and our world is going that way. I don't mean to chase diversity. What I mean is our world is changing. The 2020 census said 50% of kids 15 and under in our country are brown or multicultural. Multiracial. So like, you, you just, I don't know where it is in your town. I understand I'm in Minnesota, right? It's still the whitest state I've ever lived in. In the South, I was in Seattle and all that. But, but let me just say, that really helped us. Because some people wanted to say some stuff and uh, I had some board members that were like, oh, no, Pastor, I got this one. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. My man, glad I put him on in 2016, you know. Um, but it helped. You need different voices. And so I'm thankful for our board members, different voices. But unequivocally, we share the same vision. All right. Uh, you said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think key ministry leaders. Now, when I first came and our church was smaller, some of our board members were key ministry leaders. Okay, so we had three different committees. We had a committee for our daycare. We had a committee for our, our missions committee. And we had a committee for something else. I put everybody on the board on a committee. I was like, if I got to do stuff and I came here, once I found out how crazy it was, I was like, y'all brought me here. You got to do something about it. And so we do those. So I would just view that as, here's another example. I know some people, I was helping a, a church in another state and they said, well, I can't get good people to be on the board. I said, well, what are you asking them to do? And they were like, well, they got to teach a Sunday school class. They got to lead a small group. They got to be the worship leader. I said, they got a job. They, you know, you need to lower the requirements of them. So I'm just going, if they're gifted at ministry, awesome. 
We could have, you know, we've had different, uh, one, one board member led our security ministry. One board member leads our uh, next steps. So it's not like they don't get to do ministry, but it's not a requirement to be like a staff member because somebody else, but, but they do have to know what they're talking about financially to be on our board for our situation. Because it's big numbers, big dollars, and I'm young. And so I'm even aware of going, I need that picture. But so I would meet with them and say, hey, here's our kids director. It could be a, a 16-year-old girl in your church or boy, right? Like, it doesn't have to be that. And they may carry more of that guardrail. But the key is, wherever your situation is, set up your, your structure, your culture, so that people know where they can fit in. Because we've got to have spots for people with gifts that are bigger than passing out the bulletin. I know Pastor Mike got rid of his bulletins. We still do it, so it's okay. But, but I do sermon notes, so that's why, you know. Because uh, uh, Anyway, is, does that make sense, Jim? Is that okay? I can maybe say it in another way, but yeah, John. You, you talked about um, new board member orientations. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. One, can we get it? Two, can you talk about it? Yeah, yeah, it's great. So one of the things that we do uh, as a new board member comes on, we buddy them up with somebody else that's been on the board or is on the board, and, and it's kind of like a buddy system. So they know because most people have not been a good church board member before. We don't really do a lot of training on it. So uh, we need to do that. So we explain, yeah, I, could, I can get you that stuff, John. So, but a lot of it is, here's how we operate. Here's our culture. Here's the flow of our year. And I meet with them as well, by the way. It's, they get a buddy on the board that they talk with, but I meet with them as they're coming on. I talk with the candidates before, and I'm like, hey, here's the deal with our board. Here's our structure. Here's how it operates. Having heard that, do you want to remain a candidate? And sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want that. Or... I work every Monday night. I can't be on the board. I'm like, well, thanks for telling me because that's when we meet. You know, occasionally we switch. But, you know, it's important to have those conversations. The key is front load conversations because then it creates a lot more agreement afterwards. So we just talk about here's what we do. Here's how we operate. And then I'm keeping a large pulse on it. You know, we're, we're together. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's great. Um, I keep a running list on my phone. I, I keep a notes app. And so I have a running list anytime I think of something throughout the month leading up to the next month. I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about this. And I just put it right on this because I, I make the agenda. I just update the last agenda. I have them all saved and they're there. So I might update that um, week before, day of, might edit, you know. But I keep a running list on my phone. Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's a testimony we're going to share. So I just have next board meeting is a header on a note that I just, I keep it there all the time. This is what I'm sharing. This is what I'm doing. And then I always let them know, hey, if I shared some of this with you guys, you know, we've all had different schedules, but uh, I just want to keep them updated on that. And let me just say, a lot of this will go back to the heart of the leader. When I say um, our board has never voted no on anything that I presented, I don't mean that we've never changed, that I've not received their wisdom and we've gone a different direction. I just didn't ask them for a vote. So, for instance, um, I, I asked them about an idea, an opportunity, and I said, I need to know, what do you guys think? Because they care about me, they care about our church, and they, they I could tell, like, they all kind of sat back. I could tell my presentation was not going good. <laughs> <laughs> And then they said, but I asked for the feedback. I'm asking them, tell me. 
I remember one of our whole ideas, we were doing a middle school service during every other week on our Sunday deal. And one of our board members has a middle schooler. And uh, I'm asking, you know, what are you guys thinking about stuff? And even though they're not hiring the youth pastor, I am asking, I'm like, you got a kid in the youth group. What do you think? And because here's what I know, I have to uh, request that feedback because most people won't tell me honestly. They'll be like, they either say, pastor is awesome or they just dip out of the church. I'm like, could you have told me? Like, you know, like we could have done something. I didn't know. And he said, you know, pastor, why do we do middle school service every other week? I said, well, because our middle school, the youth pastor was in college. And so that was all he could do. He said, well, he's been graduated for a year. I said, I guess I'll ask this week. I asked, they were like, I don't know. We just do it every other week because that's what we've been doing. I said, what do you think? I asked my 12 year old daughter. She's like, dad, um, yeah, we don't really like listening to you. I said, okay, praise the Lord. So, um, so now we do middle school service every week, but that was because there was a board member that said that. So when you talk about time for preparing, not only do I have these things, um, what was I, did I feel like I already answered that for you? I feel like there was something else I was going to say. Now I don't know. I messed up. Asking the feedback and, uh, oh yeah, I was making a presentation and they were sitting back and then one of them was like, you know, pastor, we love you. They were like, we think that's too much on you. And I want you to know, like, for about seven seconds, I was kind of disappointed because I'm just somebody, I, I like saying yes to other people. I'm a people pleaser. So somebody else was asking for help. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. And But in about seven seconds, I was so relieved because I wanted somebody to tell me, don't do it. And I called my wife. She's like, I was praying that they would tell you don't do it. And I'm t- I was so relieved that they care enough about me to say. And then the other thing that we say is we try not to say no. We try to say yes, but here's how it has to happen. So what they said is yes, but pastor, we need to get this in place for your life. Not like accountability. They were really talking about hiring a different staff member. And they said, then you could do that. But we need to remove some things from your plate. Otherwise, we're going to lose you. And I was so I was relieved in that moment that we'd gone to dinners and they, that, that they trusted enough to say, Pastor, it's not, a, it's not a sin issue. It's a wisdom issue. And we're like, we care about you to say, don't do it. And I was like, so glad. It was you. Oh, my God. I, I, I forgot you. <laughs> I was like crying because I, I was like, but that's what I think real covenant relationships about. Like, honestly. But, but if the leader doesn't cultivate it, it's a problem. And so I wish I could say, here's the three easy ways, if you're a board member, to get your pastor to do that. Uh, call Jeff LeFevre, he can help you with that. But I'm just telling you, from my perspective, pray for your pastor. And then, like, be nice about it. I, I said this on another topic. If you want your pastor to, like, be more bold in his or her leadership, encourage them when they do something even just a little bit bold. Senior pastors are like dudes. We'll, we will live down to your level of critique. You know, if I come home and my wife's like, oh, you always leave your laundry on the floor. I'll be like, well, then why change today? You know, like, let's, <laughs> I'm on a roll, you know? <laughs> but if I come home and she's like, man, you did your own laundry. I'm like, yes, I did. You know, so like lead your pastor by encouraging them instead of complaining about them. When we have, uh, when I get a Facebook message in the church, they're like, why are you doing this kind of thing? No. 
when they say, we loved when you did this, I, I give it to me more. So pray for your pastor, help it out, but it's good. Let me pray for you, and I'm 60 seconds over. That's pretty normal for our church, so all right.